And Lord, we stand in that victory, the victory that you won on our behalf over sin and death. Lord, you ransomed us with your very blood. Lord, it's just overwhelming to even think. Again, your love that you showed for us that while we were yet sinners, when we wanted nothing to do with you, you suffered and died in our place. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for for drawing us to yourself. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that that is within us. Lord, we, we ask that tonight as we just gather here in the middle of a week, Lord, that all of the things going on, the busyness of life and the craziness of the world around us, that we would just gather here right now and just in your presence, looking into your holy word, and Lord, we would ask that that you would do a work in us. Lord, that you would change us, that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us in your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. You gotta love monsoon season, don't you? Throwing the humidity in, top of the days of 105, 106 degree plus temperature. Once it's over 105 and the, the humidity is over 30%, pastors can wear shorts. <laughs> it's in here somewhere. Don't be Bereans on that, though. Open your Bibles, please. First Samuel. First Samuel chapter 8. Continue our verse-by-verse study on Wednesday nights. We're going through the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 8, last time, last few times we, we've been discussing and, and going through 1 Samuel and the, the time and again the difficulty and a very dark time in the, in the history of the Jewish people. We spoke of that a couple of weeks ago when they went into, into battle against the Philistines and they thought if they just brought their good luck charm, the, the Ark of the Covenant along with them, everything would be fine and they got wiped out in that battle and the Ark of the Covenant taken, the Philistines, and uh, then we saw it, we discussed that last time about the, how the, the Philistines realized after a very short time that that was a really bad idea, and so they returned the Ark to, to the children of Israel. Then there was a great time of repentance, as we talked of last time, as we were finishing chapter 7, and uh, we spoke as we were finishing that up in verse 12. Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. And again, pointing back to the faithfulness of God and the fact that he is always there. He has never let them down. And when they, they truly repent and they follow the Lord, he is, he is their provider, he is their protector. And we're going to see that, again, even in this time now, things are, things are great, things are going well. We see then that it says in verse 15 of chapter 7, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He would go annually on this circuit that's going around. So as we mentioned last time, he was probably in his early to mid-30s at that time. But now as we transition into chapter 8, it says, and it came about when Samuel was old, a lot of Scholars think that he's probably at this time about 60 to 70 years old, so another 30 years has elapsed since the time we left off in chapter 7. 
And it says that he appointed his sons to judge over Israel. Now the name of the firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second was Abijah, and they were judging in Beersheba. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. Samuel is this, this shining light in this, in this dark, dark time. We've, we talked about that, though. When he first came onto the scene, it was probably around the time of Samson and the time that we were looking at and the judges at that time where it said it was a dark time. When the, when the, the children of Israel, it says that they had no king and they, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. During that time, Samuel comes as this bright light. Eli, the high priest, and his two wicked sons, you know, during all of that, here Samuel grows up in this godly man. And, here, and now it says that his two sons did not follow after him. He wasn't, Samuel wasn't like Eli. Eli seemed to just kind of let his sons just kind of run off, and it almost seemed like he was almost a part of it. Here's Samuel, a godly man. And his sons, it says that they did not walk in his ways, and how that must have broken his heart. He, he was a godly man. He set a godly example. He named his sons Joel. The first one, Joel, means Jehovah is God. His second one, Abijah, means Jehovah is my father. So constantly they have their names there. They have their father as an example for them, but they did not follow in his ways. They went after the ways of the flesh. It says that they, they were taking bribes and they were perverting justice. Again, these, they were not priests, but they were judging, and that, that idea is then when people would have issues, they would come to them to biblically look at the, how to handle things, and, and they were taking bribes in order to mete out their justice that way. How that must have grieved Samuel to see. Verse 4, it says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. They recognized the problem. They could see that Samuel was getting old and that his sons were going to come into his place and they're thinking, man, we can't, you know, we've been following when, with, with what you're doing and everything's been great, but we're not, we're not ready and willing to let your sons step into place. So we want a king like everyone else has. Now, he goes on to say, but this thing, please, verse 6, but this thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. It's interesting when we, when we look at this, and, and quite honestly, as I began studying this today, I didn't, I didn't put the dots together until, until after I was going through this a little bit and read a, read a commentary, that it's not that, the, that God didn't plan to have a king at some point. We, when, I've always read that before that says, you know, it was the fact that they wanted a king at all that was the problem. And we'll get to that in a minute, what the real problem behind it all is, but it wasn't the fact that, it, that it's a king that's the issue. It going all the way back to Genesis chapter 17, verse 6, God told Abraham and Sarah that kings will come from you. God spoke of a king in Israel coming from, the, from the Abraham and Sarah. Later on, he said to Jacob in Genesis 35, 11, the same thing, kings will come from you. And then Jacob, when he is blessing his sons, when he comes to Judah, his son, he said that you will be the, from you will be the kingly line. 
in Deuteronomy chapter 17. God spoke to Moses in verse 14. It says, when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you and you possess it and live in it and you say, I will set a king over me like the nations who are around me, God saw this coming. He said, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your countrymen. You shall set as a king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countryman. Moreover, you shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since the Lord has said to you, you will never again return that way. He shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away, nor shall he greatly increase silver or gold for himself. Now it shall come about, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests." It shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of the law and all of these statutes. And his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, that he may not turn aside from the commandment of the Lord to the right or to the left, so that he, will, that he and his sons may continue long in the kingdom in the midst of Israel. So God is laying out the rules for the king when he finally gets there. And the main thing that spends the last couple of verses there was the law of God. He's going to write out his own copy in the presence of the priests, and he's going to read it. He's going to follow it. He's going to fear the Lord. So it wasn't the fact that God wasn't preparing a king. I believe that God's first king that in his perfect will would have been David. The problem here is that they're demanding a king, and they're demanding it right now. And the bigger issue, I think, is at the end of verse 5, like all the nations. They looked around at the, world, at the nations around them and said, we want a king like theirs. We want a king like man, the other men around us have. And the big issue with that is the Jewish people were not supposed to be like all of the other nations around them. They were supposed to be different, markedly different. Turn with me, keep your finger here, but turn with me in New Testament, 1 Peter. There's some very practical application for us in this. 1 Peter chapter 2. What they were crying out from their hearts is basically saying, we want to be like the world around us. 1 Peter chapter 2, the first part of the chapter, it's comparing, again, the godly versus the ungodly. Verse 7, this, uh, this precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they are also appointed. Verse 9, but, but, drawing stark contrast, he says, but you are a chosen race. And again, now he's speaking, these words speaking initially to the children of Israel, but here in the New Testament speaking to us as Christians, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous life. You are a chosen race. We as Christians grafted in with the children of Israel, a chosen race. Why was Israel chosen among all the other people? Because God did it. 
God chose them. He didn't, he didn't pick them because they were, more, they were special or they were more beautiful or they were smarter than everyone el- everybody else. God just chose them among all others just because. And, and we know that. The same is with us. He, he didn't choose us because he was picking the A team. <laughs> as a matter of fact, Paul tells us that. He says, he goes, consider your own calling. How many of you wise? How many of you mighty? As a matter of fact, God, God chooses chooses the weak to upset the, the strong. Because when, when all of that happens then, nobody can boast. We can only give glory to God. A chosen race. Again, not chosen because of our own merit. This race thing is a grace thing. That's all it is. It's all grace. A chosen race. A royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. Did you know you're priests? <laughs> we are all priests as Christians. We are all performing different ministries within the priesthood, following our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm challenged by that continually. I hope that you are. Does our life reflect the fact that we are priests? A holy nation. That word holy means set apart. We are to be different. Different than the rest. A holy nation. Again, that word holy means set apart, sanctified for God's purposes. Set apart from the world around us. God's own possession. This unique relationship purchased, and as we sang, purchased by the very precious blood of Jesus. And he goes through that and he says in verse 9, so that there's a reason you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are a people, the people of God. You, have not re- you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. By grace again, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. Not, <laughs> you're, this, you're not of this world. We use that all the time. You're aliens, we're, not, this, we're just passing through. Our home is in heaven. Strangers, again, different to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the, sco- the, against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Your good deeds as they observe them. Does the way we live our life, is it observable to the rest of the world around us as different? as different. We talked again this past weekend, and again, all, everything that's going on in our country right now, and the ruling that came down in the Supreme Court last, last week, and it, the, the, the difference between the world and our country around us, and the true body of Christ, is getting more and more different. It has to be. We have to be the light shining in the darkness. If we, have to, if we feel that we need to dim the light so that we're not offensive or that we can draw others in, that's, the, that's what's happened to so much of the church today and so many Christians. And saying, well, if we're too different, nobody's gonna wanna, nobody's gonna wanna hear what we have to say or we're gonna chase people away. We can't change the message. We have to be different. And we have to be markedly different so when they realize how they're going so wrong and how their life is still miserable and they want to know what makes us different. They got to, they have to, it's not going to be hard for them to say, okay, you're different. What is it about you? And then we can share the love of Jesus. 
The problem is here, and back to our story in 1 Samuel chapter 8, is the Israelites who God said, I'm calling you. You are to stand out amongst the nations. They said, we don't want to stand out. We want to be like them. And that is what grieved Samuel when he heard it. But then he points to the fact, and it, and it says, it, it says it, don't, don't worry, they're not rejecting you, Samuel, they're rejecting me. And that's a word for us too, because many will reject the word when we bring it, the truth when we share it. And they're not rejecting us, they're rejecting the one who sent us, the one who has given us the message to share. God is going to say, listen to them, Verse 8, like all the deeds, this isn't new. This, is, this isn't something new. This isn't, this isn't catching God like a big surprise. Like all the deeds which they had done since the day I brought them out from Egypt, even to this day, and that they have forsaken me and served other gods. So they are doing to you also. Now you're getting just a taste of it, what, I, what, what I've been feeling the whole time, the Lord says. Now then, listen to their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. God will ultimately let us have our own way if we insist, but the word is full of warnings if we continue down a path that goes against his will. So Samuel, now the Lord places it on his heart what to share with, with them. The words of the, said the, spoke the words of the Lord to the people who had asked him for the king. He's gonna say, all right, if, this, if you were asking for it, this is what you're in for. He said, and notice, there's going to be a word that's repeated over and over in this. This will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and of fifties, and some to do his plowing and to reap his harvest and to take his weapons of war and, equip, and, and equipment for his chariots. He will also take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and the olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your seed and of your vine vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will also take your male servants and your female servants and, the, and your best men and your donkeys and use them for his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you, will, and you yourselves will become his servants. Take. Take, 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 take. You want man to rule over you? This is what's gonna happen. That man will just take and take and take and take. And God is saying, laying this all out and saying, compare this to what's going on right now. What, what, what you have with God, with basically me ruling over you, God says, you know. God's, compared to man, God is really low maintenance, isn't he? I mean, all he desires is our heart, that we would just simply follow him. And he, and he is indebted to no one. But here he's saying, lay it all out for you. Then, after you do this, he's gonna, he says in verse 18, then you will cry in that day because your king to whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Can God's word is full of warnings, full of, of, of telling us what will happen if we choose to, to go down the path against God's will. 
but he will allow us, if we insist, to go that direction. And then when we face the the repercussions of our decisions, isn't that how it always happens? God says don't, we do it anyway, we end up in a mess and we cry out to God for help. Fix it, God. I can't tell you how many times, and praise the Lord, he uses this in in amazing ways. There's so many um, wonderful stories about how, how myself, other pastors, counseling with people. But this, this is a common phone call that we get in the office. My relationship is a mess. My boyfriend and I, or my girlfriend and I, we're living together, and life is a mess. Come on in for counseling. Explain the word of God to them. And again, bottom line is, they know it. They know they're not supposed to be doing it. They know that, that it's against God's law to be living together before they're married, but they do it anyway. And then they cry out to God, fix the problem. Bottom line is, honor God. Do what God's word says. And it's been an amazing opportunity to watch the transformation in, 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 in individuals and in couples. Many have chosen to continue on in that and to continue on in that difficulty that they are. But God says, again, it's happened before again, calling up and saying, my boyfriend is not a believer and we're really going through some troubles, but I know that God is calling. No, he didn't. God didn't call you together. It says, do not be unequally yoked. So when we, when we follow God's word, he blesses us. If we go against it, we can't cry out to him and say, hey, God, fix this mess that I've gotten myself into, unless we're willing to come under his lordship but he's saying, this, will, this is what's going to happen. Now, you would think that they would say, oh, that's what it means? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Actually, God, you know what, thinking back through everything, it, it, everything's just great right now, so we'll just stick with it, but that's not what happened. Verse 19, nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. We hear you, but we'll just, we're, we're going ahead with it anyway. That we may also be like all the nations, again, there it is, that our king may judge us and go before us and fight our battles, instead of God judging us, going before us and fighting our battles. He's undefeated. (laughs) Yet they're saying, we want to walk by sight and not by faith. We want a king that we can see and touch, and that's just like everyone else. Now, after Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the Lord's hearing, (laughs) like he had to do that. But he goes back, shares, tells the Lord, the Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and appoint them a king. So Samuel said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. So he sends everyone back home, basically saying, God will, God will choose for you a king. Chapter nine, now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becheroth, the son of Aphiah, the son of a Benjamite, a mighty man of valor. He had a son whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome man, and there was no more handsome person than he among all the sons of Israel. From his shoulders and up, he was taller than any of the people. We can see here as God now is going to give the, the people what they want in a king that they want and a king like the kings of everyone else around them. And he goes as, as 
the flesh would desire, the flesh would choose. It says that he's the son of a man of valor. He he comes from a wealthy family. They have have a lot of possessions. They have power and, and influence. Tells us that this Saul, who is the one who will be king, is the most handsome man in the land. He's taller than everybody else, stands above everyone else. And isn't that interesting that, that even today, those are the ones, those are the people that we, we seem to flock to, the ones, who, the ones who have power, the ones who come from wealth, the ones who have all of the, the background, the ones that look the part, right, and can, and can talk it all up, and, and all of this outward appearance. God says it, that man looks at the outward appearance, and isn't that still so true today? doesn't matter what's at all on the inside, You probably have heard all of these things and seen these different polls and the different stuff. It amazes me, well, it stopped amazing me a while ago, I guess, that across the board, and this isn't isn't Republican or Democrat, this is politicians. Nobody trusts them. They don't believe a word that they say. I mean, it's like 70-some percent believe that, that our president and the Congress and all of the people that are running and all of this are dishonest. Yet we get behind them, and those are the ones we pick. We don't, we don't care if they mean what they say. It just sounds good. And man, don't they look good. And it sure gets us all fired up. And that's, God, God is saying, that's, that's, the, that's the heart of man. We look at the outward appearance, and that's what we're, I'm going to give them as their first king. God looks at the heart. Wouldn't it be awesome if we just elect some people that had a true, pure heart? That, that weren't worried about political correctness, that weren't worried about all of these other things, but just had a, I, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be great if just, just, give us, just give us four years of a Christian president and a Christian Congress and everything, just give us four years and tell us it's not you know, that much better. Anyway. <laughs> Problem with that, as I've said many times, though, is you can't legislate morality. And unfortunately, I think God's, some of God's greatest judgment has just given us what we ask for. And that's, that's what's going to happen here. Well, verse 3, now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. Remember that. So Kish said to his son Saul, take now with you one of, one of the servants and arise, go search for the donkeys. He passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalishah, but he did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but he did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, come and let us return or else my father will cease to be concerned about the donkeys and will become anxious for us. So Saul's dad, a bunch of their donkeys get away, get, they get, they're, they, they're lost. And Saul's dad tells him to go and look for them. Now, Saul is a young, young adult now. I mean, he's not a little kid, but he's obedient to his father. And he does go and diligently look for these lost donkeys. He didn't just walk around the corner out of dad's sight, pull off side for a, you know, a, a latte and just kick back. He went diligently looking for the animals. So far away, as we're going to see in a moment, that they'd run out of food. They were gone for several days as they were looking for these donkeys and could not find them. And then he said, you know, we probably better get back home before dad starts worrying about us. 
Verse 6, he, that is his servant, said to Saul, Behold, now there is a man of God in this city, and the man is held in honor. All that he says surely comes true. Now, we know that he's speaking of of Samuel. Remember back in in chapter 2, I believe, when it said that all of the land realized that Samuel was a godly man because everything that he said came true, that he was a prophet of God. Now, Saul's servant knew that, but for some reason Saul didn't. But Saul's servant did, and so he says, since we're here, let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us about our journey on which we have set out. Then Saul said to his servant, but behold, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread is gone from our sack, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again and said, behold, I have in my hand a fourth of a shekel. I will give it to the man of God, and he will tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he used to say, come and let us go to the seer. For he who is called a prophet now was formerly called a seer. So those that are prophets at the time of the writing of this book, he's putting a little note in there saying that they used to be called seers. They used to be able to see into the spiritual realm. And that's what, again, Samuel is one that could see into that and understand the, 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 the word of God. So Then Saul said to his servant, well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. Now we see a few things here about Saul that's kind of laying out for us, this guy. He's he's a handsome guy, most handsome guy in the land, taller than everybody else, but he's obedient, obedient, diligent. To me, this stands out again. He's a a man of, of prestige, his family is anyway. Not only do they have possessions, but they have servants, but he's not some proud master. His servant says, gives him an idea, well said, come let's go. I mean, he listens and takes advice from his, from his servant. Verse 11, as they went up the slope to the city, they found young women going out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? And <laughs> I, again, I have these things in my head, so but so here's, here's Saul, right? Tall, handsome, above everything, you know, and I got this idea, you know, the big waving locks kind of thing is the seer here. And the women are like, oh, yeah, right? <laughs> he sure is. <laughs> He's ahead of you. Hurry now, for he has come into the city today, for the people have a sacrifice in the high place today. I mean, if Saul was <laughs> like any of us, you know, is the seer here? Ah, you know, but no, he's like GQ guy. So they're like all falling all over themselves to t- give him all this information. As soon as you enter the city, you will, find, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. After, afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now, therefore, go up, for you will find him at once. So... They went up to the city. As they came into the city, behold, Samuel was coming out toward them to go up to the high place. You don't say. Remember when I told you to remember that it said that the donkeys of Kish were lost? They weren't lost. God just chased them away for a little bit. We're going to see that they're found. They, they They were never lost. God knew exactly where they were. 
God draws providentially, brings Samuel and his servant to this place at this time because God has an appointment. And and I just, I love this because you think that things just happen so randomly. Again, the maiden's going out. Saul, GQ guy, coming in. He's right over there, you know, and, and pointing him right in that direction. God is going to make sure this appointment can't be missed. Now a day, it says, before Saul's coming, verse 15, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel, saying, about this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Now, in the New Testament, it speaks of spiritual gifts, and we all have spiritual gifts. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you, you have a spiritual gift, at least one. Gifts that are given to us that are ours because we are Christians. We didn't have them before. Some of them God gives for a season, but spiritual gifts. And one of those spiritual gifts is a word of knowledge. Now that doesn't mean all of us have a word of knowledge, but that is an active spiritual gift. And a word of knowledge is a fact that God reveals to you that couldn't be known otherwise. It's a fact that the Lord places on your heart. Something that you couldn't possibly know unless God told you. Now here we see that. God spoke to Samuel with a word of knowledge saying, about this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Now next it says, you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. That's a word of wisdom. That is a supernatural revelation of what to do. And if you've ever been a part of that or been around someone where somebody, God gives somebody a word of knowledge and someone else confirms it, it's an awesome thing. We've had that happen on our Sunday night prayer nights. If you've never come, that, that has happened before where God, God will speak through somebody a word of knowledge and somebody will confirm that. And those types of things happen in the body of Christ. And it still happens today, I guess that's my point. Why was Samuel given these things? And why, why was it plain to him? Because he was listening. Are we listening? Are we asking for those gifts? God, speak to me. Show me. God wants to reveal to us his heart. God wants to show things to us. And he will use us to speak to others. But we have to be willing to listen and to be obedient. He will, he goes on after this, he said, and he will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have regarded my people because they cry, their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, behold, the man to whom I spoke to you, this one shall rule over my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, please tell me where the seer's house is. <laughs> Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer this divine appointment. God's providential hand, again, moving through this whole thing, and it all started because the donkeys were lost. <laughs> and I wonder how many times when our donkeys get lost, we panic and freak out like the world is coming to an end when God is just using that as a catalyst to get us moving. And if we just step out in faith and say, man, this is, 
this is, this is difficult. This is hard. And again, when I, I, I don't want to make light of anything by saying donkey's lost. But it, when a job is lost, when a, when a, when a career is lost, when a, when a dream is lost, when, when these types of things happen and we look at them and say, man, this is the end of it. No, this is the beginning of it. God is, God is very probably using that to, to get you moving. And if we just follow in obedience where he guides and leads, and we listen as people come alongside and say, hey, have you thought about this? And, and instead of saying, no, I know better, saying, you know what, that, that sounds right. Like in verse 15, well said, well said. Continue on and, and follow through that. God has divine appointments all the way along, and his hand is in it all. We are his children, and his desire for us is to bless us. Now, it might come in packages that we don't like the wrapping, but he knows what's best. And here we see this. There, there, none of these things are random details. God was in every piece of this, every step along the way, and nothing happens to us randomly. He's in every detail. He says, I'm the seer. <laughs> this whole thing was setting up to this point. Now go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today. Now again, Saul coming into this thing, no idea what's going to happen next. Now he's going to be the, the, the guest of honor at this big banquet. And in the morning I will let you go, and I will tell you what is on your mind. As for your donkeys, which were lost for three days, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all of this desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for your father's household? Tell me that didn't blow his mind. <laughs> oh, those donkeys you were looking for that you didn't say anything about to me? They're, they're found. They're home. Saul's got to be... All right, I'm listening. Saul replied... Now, he, he, speak, he says there at the end, you know, speak, calling out, like, that you're, you are the one I've been waiting for. Saul replied, am I not a Benjamite, the smallest of the tribes of Israel? Am my family the least of all of the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak to me in this way? And you, you, you see a, a level of humility here. Again, here's this guy who seems to kind of have it all, but he's like, man, I'm, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. And the least of these families. And then Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them to the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who were invited, who were about 30 men. Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion that I gave you, concerning which I said, set it aside. Then the cook took, then the cook took up the leg with what was on it and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, here is what has been reserved. Set it before you and eat because it has been kept for you until the appointed time since I said I have invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. So he sets before him this big old, the best cut of meat. Then they came down from the high place into the city. Samuel spoke with Saul on the roof. So they go kick back in the porch, which was up on top of the roof and imagine the conversation going on there. And they arose early. And at daybreak, Samuel called to Saul on the roof and said, Get up, that I may send you away. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. As they were going down to the edge of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Say to the servant that he might go ahead of us 
and pass on, but you remain standing now that I may proclaim the word of God to you. So the next day after this banquet, Saul still doesn't have any idea what's going on yet, understands that something's happening, but doesn't quite understand it yet. But he says, now send your servant on ahead. This is between you and me. Verse 10, or chapter 10, sorry, verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on his head, kissed him, and said, has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? So he pours the oil over him, anoints him, and declares him to be the king, that is, the one, the promised king. When you go from me today, now Samuel is going to give him three signs to give him assurance as he is going forward from this. Because again, if, if you could only imagine, put yourself in Saul's sandals here, what, what has gone on the last 24 hours, and he's just been, Samuel has just poured this oil on him, anointed him king. 24 hours earlier, he's lost looking for donkeys. And now he's just been told by Samuel, the prophet of God, that he is going to be the king. So he gives him three signs to encourage him along the way. When you go from me today, then you will find two men close to Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin in, in Zela. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. Now behold, your father has ceased to be concerned about the donkeys and is anxious for you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Here, saying again, this information that, that I didn't know anything about, these men, you're going to meet them on the way back, and they're going to tell you that the donkeys have been found. God cares, and he's saying through this, God cares about you. God cares about what you care about, and he is going to take care of your problems. If you stay close to him, God will take care of your problems. God took care of the, 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 the donkeys. He brought them home. You didn't have to do that. Then, verse 3, you will go further on from there, and you will come as far as the oak of Tabor. And there are three men going up, for, up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a jug of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from their hand. God is going to take care of your needs. He knows what you need before you even ask. So as you are going out, you're not even going to ask for this. These men are going to give it to you. You take it from them. Sign number two. Afterward, you will come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, and it shall be as soon as you have come there in the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them. And they will be prophesying. They're going to be worshiping and speaking, speaking prophecies, speaking the word of God. Verse 6, then the spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. Here's a beautiful picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Saul, right now, and, and again, I just, this beautiful picture. Saul, as I'm anointing you with this oil now and, and, and proclaiming you to be king, as it stands right now, you're not ready. But the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. The power of God is going to come upon you, and you will be a new man after that. And that is so true. Again, the, the beautiful picture, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as God calls us in, in, in our walk with him into ministry, into a certain area that we are completely unqualified to be a part of. The baptism of the Holy Spirit comes in and changes us and gives us what we need in order to fulfill the ministry that we are called to. One of my favorite quotes is that God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. He does, not, he does not call us to a particular ministry because we're great at doing something. 
He calls us to a ministry and then he gives us what we need through the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill that ministry. And what a beautiful picture of that here. The, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily and you shall prophesy with, the, with them and be changed into another man. It shall be when these signs come to you, do for yourself what the occasion requires for God is with you. All of these things are gonna come. You need to now walk in them. And how many times do we miss the call of God because, going back to the first one, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. We get so worried about the concerns of the world and we go chasing after these types of things and running down after, after what we think is important and miss the calling of God. Or we get caught up in, in, in what we think are our needs and, and, and having to take care of these types of things and miss the call of God because he said, if you come after me, I'll take care of your needs. Or we hear the call of God and we try to run off and do it in our own strength. Here, God, Samuel speaking to Saul saying, God will take care of your problems, he will take care of your needs, and he will give you all that you need to fulfill the ministry that you have been called to, take care, to, called to do. Verse 8, And you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down to you and offer burnt offerings and a sacrifice, peace offerings, you shall wait seven days until I come to you and show you what you have to do. Then it happened when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God changed his heart. And all those signs came about on that day. When they came to the hill there, behold, a group of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God came upon him mightily so that he prophesied among them. Now it doesn't record the other two instances individually, but it says that all three took place. But it focuses in on the last one. It came about when all who knew him previously saw that he prophesied now with the prophets and that the people said to one another, what has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? A man there said, now who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, is Saul also among the prophets? Interesting, when when, when you do step out in faith and follow God's leading and the, through the baptism of the Holy Spirit become changed and God starts using you in mighty ways, don't be surprised if some people who knew you before have a problem with that <laughs> and even make fun of it or speak negatively about you. You just continue and keep on, and Saul did. When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Now Saul's uncle, so he, he's, he's done with that now. He goes back home. Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, where did you go? And he said, to look for the donkeys. When we saw that it could not, they could not be found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel said to you. So Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But he did not tell him about the manner of the kingdom which Samuel had mentioned. Goes back home, doesn't say anything about this private anointing that was taking place. Now, again, Samuel had told all the people to go home. God was going to choose the king. So now he's going to gather them back together and publicly show who God has chosen. So verse 17, therefore, Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the sons of Israel, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought Israel up from Egypt and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the power of all of the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But you have today rejected your God, who delivers you from all of your calamities and your distresses, yet you have said no, but set a king over us. Now therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Thus Samuel, so Samuel again lays it all out, 
saying this is, this is not God's design, but you're insisting to do this anyway. Thus Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Way of casting lots to show that, again, God's hand is in it. So the tribe of Benjamin was taken. Then he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its families, and the, Mat- and the Matrite family was taken. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for them, when they looked for him, he could not be found. So they're looking around. Saul's name got picked. He's nowhere to be found. Therefore, they inquired further of the Lord. Has the man come here yet? <laughs> is, is, is he still on his way? So the Lord said, Behold, he is hiding himself by the baggage. He's hiding over by all the stuff. So they ran and took him from there. And we stood, when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there is no one like him among all of the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. Again, do you see him, the outward appearance? And they're impressed by this, this man. Interesting when we see that, behold, he is hiding himself by the baggage. There's a couple of ways, I guess, to look at that is, you know, you could look at that as a sign of humility. Again, the, this, this fact that he's, you know, he's, he's, he's shying away from it because he's just a humble man. But quite honestly, I, I think, and reading earlier today got me thinking along those lines, that this, this isn't an act of humility, probably. It's an act of insecurity. And there's a big difference. A big difference. Humility is a, is a selfless act. It's, it's, it's placing everything else above yourself. That's humility. Insecurity is, is a very self-centered act. It's, it's the, the not wanting to move out, not wanting to be seen because, because you're afraid of the, the repercussions that might come about. The, the feeling like, well, what if I fail? How will that look on me? Those types of things. And and we have to be careful because in, if, we, if we cover our insecurities with the idea of we're just being humble, we need to move out in humility. Again, understanding that anything that God does in and through us is not anything that we can boast in. It is all the Lord, not us. But insecurities keep us from stepping out and being used by God. Again, filled with the Holy Spirit, honor and glory to him. In humility, he gets all the glory. Well, verse 25, then, then Samuel told the people the ordinance of the kingdom and wrote them in a book and placed it before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his house. So they're all dismissed then. Saul is the king. Saul also went to his house at Gibeah and the valiant men whose hearts God had touched went with him. So God, again, provides he touches the hearts of many powerful men and that they are drawn to Saul to follow him as their new king. Now, not everybody, certain worthless men, verse 27, said, how can this one deliver us? And they despised him and did not bring him any presents. So many were giving him presents and, and supporting him and excited some of these worthless men speaking negatively about it. But notice, again, there are some, some qualities about Saul that are good ones we're gonna see as we continue to move forward, not many. But he kept silent. He didn't 
as his first act of king, have them thrown in jail for insubordination. <laughs> he remained quiet. He was living already what, what Moses spoke in Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Let the Lord God be your defender. You, you, just, you just keep quiet and do the work that God has called you to do. You take care of your character and let God take care of your reputation. You just, you focus on pleasing and honoring God. And it seems like, again, that's initially the right step. We're going to see, unfortunately, when we continue our study, that Saul, this promising king in the eyes of the people, does not, does not follow through. It's very, very disappointing as the, as the first king. But we're going to see again, though, and we know studying, reading ahead, and I encourage you all to do that, that eventually God will have his king placed on the throne, and that's David, a man after God's own heart. It says that God doesn't look at the outward appearance, but looks at the inward appearance, looks at the heart, and that's what, that's what God looks at, and that's what we're going to see in the second king. Well, that'll do it for our study tonight. We'll pick up next time we're... Together in chapter 11, let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. And Lord, it's, it's, it's such, a, such an amazing thing that as we look at stories again from this time from so long ago, how there's so much application in it for us. And Lord, we thank you for, for redeeming us, for taking us out of the miry clay, the life in sin, and Lord, placing us firmly on the rock. Lord, we thank you that we are your chosen people. Not because we bring anything to the table, Lord, but because you just placed your, your hand upon us. That you made us a royal priesthood. A holy, set-apart people your very own possession. Lord, our desire is to live in a manner worthy of that, that, that the world around us would notice, that they would give you glory and honor. And Lord, again, as the world around us gets darker and darker, that we would shine brighter and brighter for you. Lord, we pray for divine appointments this week. Use us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, to equip us for the ministry that you call us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you this weekend.